Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for August 19th, 2018. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Amy Jacks Dean, co-pastor with Russ Dean at Park Road Baptist Church. Her sermon today is entitled, The Floods of Our Lives. in force next week, and Monty's happy to have any of you. I want to go back to just before what I read to you to kind of set up this whole flood thing. The Lord saw the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually, and the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth. Happy children's story. When I was a college minister, it seemed like a flood always came at just about the right time for a fall break mission trip. We would load up the vans on Wednesday late afternoon after classes were over and drive all night long, arriving early Thursday morning to begin work. We would spend all day Thursday, Friday, and Saturday mucking out the flooded houses, ripping out sheetrock, pulling up stinking mildewed carpet, moving sandbags, and then on Sunday morning we would load the vans back up and head back to Clemson, South Carolina so that the students would be ready for classes to begin again on Monday morning. We did this in Miami, St. Louis, and Pensacola. It was an adventure each time, and it honestly exhausts me to think about trying to pull that off now. But some of my fondest memories in ministry were those college fall break flood mission trips. But I can't help but wonder today, all these years later, about the people whose lives we invaded for three short days. I wonder how they're faring now. Those people that had lost everything and we were just there to form assembly lines to throw away the entire contents of their homes. Water-damaged photos, clothes, furniture, everything ruined. Of course, the images of New Orleans underwater is forever seared in our memory. We took a trip there from Park Road in the aftermath of that tragedy. And then just last year, Houston was flooded. The skies opened up, the rains begin, and the floodwaters rise. And if you are living in the actual place where this is happening, I can imagine that it must feel like the whole world is flooding. Don't you know that feeling of swimming in grief and finding it unbelievable that everybody else is able to go on with their lives? As if nothing has happened. Reporters keep reporting the news. People go to the grocery store. Employees show up for work and the world keeps spinning even if you are living with chronic pain or if your life is revolving around an ICU waiting room. I took college students to swoop in on flooded houses for three whole days, their whole fall break. But then they're back to normal life when the people that we leave in the flood will never know normal again. 
A new normal, yes. But when you've lost everything, normal does not return. I don't know who requested the sermon on Noah's Ark. I do not thank you. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what they wanted to hear about it. Did it happen exactly the way it's recorded in Genesis? Well, which version? Everyone thinks that its animals filled the ark two by two. Or was it seven by seven? Just after what I read about taking them in two by two, the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your household, for I've seen that you alone are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and its mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and its mate and seven pairs of the birds of the air also, male and female, to keep their kind alive on the face of the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth for forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that God commanded him to do. Most religions have a flood story. And scholars agree that the one that we have in our Old Testament Hebrew scriptures is a compilation of several flood stories. How in the world did Noah's Ark become a children's story complete with decorations for a baby's nursery? It's a horrific story of mass destruction at the hands of an angry God. It fits the rock of our baby. I mean, come on. How can we sing that to them? If the bell breaks, the cradle will fall, and down will come baby, cradle and all. It's mind-boggling how if you put a catchy tune to something and fun cartoons, we can make it something that it's not. It's a horrific story of mass destruction at the hands of an angry God. If you go back and read through the whole thing, it's about three chapters of the book of Genesis, you will see that God does not fare very well in the story. And frankly, if you want to read the story with any sense of literal accuracy, there is no way to defend God in this story. Read at face value, the Noah's Ark story is a prime example of how some people talk about a God of wrath and judgment in the Old Testament. We don't like that God. But then the New Testament comes along with something wonderful called love and mercy. And we can abide then. So when you're stuck with a text that you don't want to preach, you call one of your best preacher friends, and you say, what is up with Noah's Ark? And she says, the flood story is one tiny point in a religious system's construct of God. She pointed me to Mark McIntyre's book, Portrait of a Mature God. In that book, he says that over the course of the Hebrew Testament, God gets to grow up. 
This scene that we have before us today, he says, is a temper tantrum toddler god in a grocery store that needs a nap. We've been there if you've had a toddler. McIntyre notes that there are clearly two different flood stories at play in Genesis 6 through 9. In the first, Yahweh sees the wickedness of human beings and is sorry for making them. So Yahweh decides to blot out everything. In the second account, Yahweh sees that the earth is corrupt, so God confides in Noah that he's decided to make an end of all flesh. And the result of the combination of accounts results in an incoherent story by a confusing divine character. McIntyre points out that what the two accounts seem to agree upon is the deity's apparent regret for this destructive act once it is over and a promise to never do it again. But frankly, this text is quite off-putting to preach. And my preacher friend began to do what preacher friends do best, and that is to ask hard questions. Why is this so off-putting to you, Amy? Is it because of the terminal awkwardness of trying to spin bad news into gospel? Well, yes, that gets tiresome. Is it because someone once promised you that you were their people and later abandoned you? Well, no, not personally, but I've witnessed it in so many people. Is it because it's a mythic story? Many and most cultures have one like this one and people take it literally? Yes, that gets on my last nerve. Is it because a rainbow is supposed to make all things better? Yes, that's what makes this text off-putting to preach. So much scholarship has been put into explaining this text. I'm bringing all of these with me to talk back. I read a lot of it this week, and the bottom line kept coming back to me. I don't have to explain God to you in this text. The one consistent about God, even when God seems petulant and capricious, is that God is always present. Through the floods of our lives, God is always present. I don't think God sent that flood for Noah or any other flood for that matter. And yet God was and is present, always abiding in the midst of our floods, and people are drowning all around us. And God often still gets the blame when our own theology demands that someone has to be held accountable either for our good fortune or our bad luck. Chronic pain, brain hemorrhages, cancer diagnoses, surgeries, unpaid bills, addictions, from substance abuse to eating disorders to all kinds of self-destructive behaviors, empty nests, separation and divorce, depression, loneliness, grief, family strife and disagreement, Dementia, when children disappoint their parents, when parents disappoint their children, not enough hours in the day, not enough sleep, 
being laid off, being fired, infertility, excessive debt. I've just named the floods of the lives in our church. I've got all of them in mind. Yeah, pastors hurt too. And then when we leave the floods of our lives, we go out there and we're flooded with bad news and bad politics. And it is truly overwhelming. And it feels too trite to say, let's just watch the skies. For the rainbow will surely appear. And yet we are mesmerized by rainbows, aren't we? Picture seeing one and not pointing it out to the person beside you. You cannot do it. If you see a rainbow and someone is with you, you cannot not point it out. The day after my mother died, about three months ago, a, a storm came. And after it passed, everyone walked out in the front yard and there we witnessed the biggest, the brightest, the most well-defined rainbow anyone had ever seen. There were literal oohs and ahs over this particular rainbow. It stretched across the whole expanse of the sky in the huge enormity of her front yard. Phones were out snapping pictures and videos, and I kept playing one of the videos over and over and over because in the hushed quiet of all, you can hear my brother utter words my father must have said 1,000 times to my mother over the years when she would do something extraordinary. My brother uttered it with the same inflection that my father would have, with eyes gazed upon the rainbow in the heavens while grief flooded our lives. He said, do it, Mom. And for that brief moment, we knew we were okay. But guess what happens? Life continues and more floods come. They always do. No matter how charmed your life has been, no matter how charmed you think my life is, floods come and they bring their torrential rains and you will find yourself dog paddling just above the water. You will be sure that you are drowning, flailing about in the water, crying out for help in all kinds of subtle and not so subtle ways. And I can't help but wonder if we have this story to remind us that for all time, people have lived, have lived through flooded waters. We are built for survival. If only we have access to the tools to build ourselves an ark. The labor of survival is exhausting. The fear is overwhelming, and the task of survival is daunting. And the time in that ark of recovery can be messy and stinky and crowded and almost as bad as just going ahead and drowning. 
And there's the hope that if we keep looking to the sky for that rainbow, it may actually appear to us. And that glimpse of hope may hold us until the next flood comes. And it I knew it was going to happen, but thank you. <laughs> I have observed that some folks simply have more floods than others. <clears throat> I'm grateful that has not been my story. But as a pastor, I have certainly observed it to be true. And they cry out asking, why me? What have I done to deserve this? And they are often met painfully with simple answers like, God, God doesn't give you more than you can handle kinds of sayings. That's not helpful. Don't say dumb things <laughs> to try and save God. God does not need our saving. God is always present period what more could we want or expect I think we can pull from this story an image of providing safety for those that are flailing about in the water the Noah character somehow builds this boat and allows folks and creatures to enter reminding us that when we have weathered storms and built for ourselves methods of survival, that it is incumbent upon us to provide enough safe shelter for others. This story was so much more fun when it was just Noah built him, built him an arky arky. Noah built him, built him an arky arky, built it out of. No barky, barky children of the Lord. But this story was never meant for children. This story is meant for every person that has ever felt as if they are drowning in the floods of their lives. If you try to extract coherent meaning out of every detail of the poorly put together sequence of events, you will miss the point altogether. Included in this story is the first of three covenants that God establishes with humanity. The flood marks the end of the old epoch and God's word to a new era of hope and blessing. Covenant in its simplest way of understanding is relationship. And the bow in the sky was provided as a reminder that we are never alone and that hope is still possible. And that is the best I can do to bring some good news out of Noah's Ark. But isn't that our job as the church these days and all days to continue to bring good news in the midst of despair. May it be so.
Amen. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you.